0: Guys, Daryl was my best friend in seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, it's such a, a gift to get to be on the same church staff now. So, uh, I want to say, kind of in a, a Paul fashion, like in Paul's letters, um, just want to say thank you from Midtown West. We exist; we're doing well, and we have a lot of people from Twelve South uh, that has enabled us to exist and be doing the ministry that God's called us to. And and really, the main thing I want to say is y'all would be so proud, like y'all would be so proud of your people. Uh, It brought me a lot of joy. We had a training, uh, leadership training for our like core leadership team the other night, and most of those people were from 12 South, and some of them were teaching the training, and so just, and we were in this space, and just to think back to a couple years ago, and uh, some of the, I, I looked around that room, and some of those people weren't serving in any capacity, and now they're they're leading for us, and that's open spaces for some of y'all who weren't serving to serve here now. And so um, the Lord's doing what he does with church plants, is he's growing his body, he's maturing his people. And, and we have, um, pretty much every single week, we have multiple new people that we've never seen before. And uh, so it's working, and so thank you. Um, I'm going to pray for us, we're going to get started. Father, we, uh, we love you. And we want to love you more, and we come resting and trusting in your promises that you, uh, you do your good work through your word and through the gathering of your people and through the power of your Holy Spirit, and you promise that you won't leave us changed. And so, Lord, continue to do the work that you've begun in, in us. Um, bring it to completion, and uh, Lord, help us to see you more clearly. Help us to understand your truth and work it into our lives. And um, most of all, Lord, help us to know how much you you love us more deeply and to rest in and enjoy and live out of that love that you have for us uh, through what you've given us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to ask y'all to throw out some some answers for me, um, only if they're appropriate, but what, what nicknames did you or other people have in high school because of something that you or that person did? Just, just throw them out when it comes to you. Bear bait. Bear bait? That's awesome. <laughs> what else we got? Come on, people. They're either so bad or there's no nicknames. Uh, come on, one more. Let's go. Screech. Screech. I like it. Thank you. Uh, When I was thinking about this, the the one that I thought of was there's this guy that transferred to our high school, uh, our school freshman year, and I guess maybe he came from a rougher school because he really felt like he had to be hard. And uh, so, like, he spent the first six months of high school um, bowing up to people. And, and it, we found out later, he found out the hard way that he didn't really want to fight. It was just a front because when guys finally started saying, okay, let's go. He's like, "Mm, no, no, actually I'm not going to fight. Like I'm going to take the high road. But he, uh, he would bow up to people like this and just stare at him. And finally one guy was like two inches from his face and he said, bro, you look like a pigeon. (laughs) And so he became pigeon face for the rest of high school. Pigeon face, like if that is your nickname, you need a new, you need a new name, right? Uh, So that's, that's actually where we're going with this sermon, Um, is uh, whether, you know, like some of us, like that was some of y'all, and and some of y'all maybe had nicknames that stayed with you because of something that you did, and uh, like pigeon face or worse, like you want to just escape from that name. Uh, You want to escape from that identity, because that's really what we're talking about. When we're talking about names, we're talking about identities. And um, in the Old Testament, in this culture that we're going to get into here with the story of Jacob, names, much more so than in our culture, had a deep significance. And a lot of times they were tied to something that the person did, and it was this identity that people lived out of, but also lived into. So there was sort of this determining, uh, sort of life-determining Factor in these names like my name um, Matthew means gift from God and uh, I tell my wife that a lot remind her that (laughs) She really loves those conversations Um, We're in this series now called questions that God asks Um, and God asks questions in scripture Not because he doesn't know the answer but because uh, the people on the receiving end of those questions needs something from him in those questions. Questions are an invitation, and so um, this week, the question from our passage is, what is your name? What is your name? And, and we can translate that to, to say, what is your identity? Who are you? What, what is the identity that you're living out of? So, Jacob, who we'll, we'll be talking about today, his name literally means deceiver or cheater, and that implies an identity. It implies that I'm less than, so I need to to be something I'm not, in order to receive a blessing. Um, the way that I am right now is not enough, so I need to be something that I'm not, to get what I need, to get what I want. Um, his father, I'm going to give you a little background, because uh, we can't read all of his story. But his father did not choose him. He had an older brother. He was a twin, and he was the second out of the womb behind his brother Esau. And it says that um, Isaac is their father. It says Isaac loved Esau, period. His mother literally helps disguise him as his brother to deceive his father in his old age to receive his father's blessing. So imagine this, imagine the pain of this experience. Um, You are literally dressed up like someone that you are not, standing before your father, and your father asks, Who are you? and you say, I'm Esau, the one that you love, will you bless me? And most of y'all have not done that, but there's probably a lot of us in this room who've done that metaphorically, to put on some identity and stand before our own fathers and say, um, now I'm the one that you love, now will you give me your blessing? And so this is the life that Jacob has, and you know, for some of us, it's uh, you know, we're not smart enough, we're not successful enough, we're not beautiful enough, we're not masculine enough. Uh, but for some of us, it goes the other direction. Some of us have a mantle that's too weighty placed upon us, like the golden boy or the golden girl. That like, you're going to be so successful. You're going to be everything. You're so beautiful. You're so handsome. You're so everything. And it's the weight of this identity that is not you, is just crushing you and is directing the path of your whole life. So whether it's too much or it's not enough, we live out of these identities, and they determine a lot of our lives. In fact, um, you know that's maybe how a lot of us got to Nashville. I came to make a name for myself, or I came to live into this name that somebody's already put on me. Um, but his Jacob's whole life is deception, living out of a false self. If you read through his story, like that's what's his. He watched his parents do that. He's learned that he can't even trust the members of his immediate family. Like deception and manipulation is what is modeled, it's what's encouraged, it's what he's been led into by the members of his family. And so when he deceives his father and receives the blessing that's meant for his older brother, um, his older brother wants to murder him. And so he has to run away from home. So his mom devises this plan where he's going to go with his uncle far away, and that's where he's going to find a wife and, and find a living. And so this is how he leaves his home, and goes out into the world. And so if, if we go back to a couple weeks ago, um, our, the sermon on Genesis 3, you just see that this is a manifestation of what we talked about there. That um, our identity apart from Christ is just different expressions of running and hiding and covering. And so, so Jacob is just like us. And God meets Jacob on the way to his uncle Laban's, and he, he makes these great promises to him. He just shows up out of nowhere and makes these great promises to Jacob to bless him. And Jacob, Jacob's response to God's promises to him is essentially, yeah, we'll see about that. And you think about the life that he's lived up to this point, and it kind of makes sense that he's learned not to trust anyone. And the relationship he's had with his father, he's like, hey, if you're the God of my father, maybe I, I don't really want to have anything to do with you. So we'll, we'll just see. Um, and he gets to his uncle's, and it turns out, you know, there's this great promise on the front end. His, you know, don't, it's, I guess maybe it's not weird back then, it's weird now, but like his uncle had a daughter who's beautiful that he wanted to marry. Um, his uncle was wealthy and had a lot of flocks and, and livestock, and, and his uncle was very kind and welcoming when he first got there. He's like, yeah, come on, be a part of our family, you can marry my daughter. You can work here. You can make a living, and uh, and then what happens over the next twenty years is he's just constantly cheating him for twenty years, and so this is where this is where we find Jacob in our passage. And so, uh, go to Genesis thirty-one. We're just going to read one verse here from thirty-one, verse three, and then we're going to get into uh, chapter thirty-two. It says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And now starting in chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau... Thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. In other words, please don't kill me. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. So he describes that process, and we're going to jump to verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, so here we have, we're going we're to kind of look at two parts here. Uh, what life looks like stuck in an identity that's rooted in yourself. And then what it is, what it is to get a new identity that we really desperately need. Um, so, God tells Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and I'm going to be with you. And what happened was, um, God said, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. And, and Jacob was afraid of Laban. And so he, he didn't necessarily trust in God's promises. So he fleed. Fleed? No. He fled from Laban uh, while Laban was gone. And he, he didn't tell him they were leaving. He just left. And uh, God orchestrated it to where he wasn't going to allow him to do that. And so Laban caught up with him and he had to face up with Laban. And God protected him. And now we turn the corner. Now Jacob's going to have to face his greatest fear, which is going back to his brother Esau. And uh, verse, verse uh, one of this chapter. God allows him to see this host of angels, so he sees all of his people camping, and then he sees these angels all around him camping with him, like this army of angels, and it's, it's essentially God saying, hey, look, I'm pulling back the curtain to show you you're not alone. Like, I told you I was going to be with you. I told you that I'm always with you, and now I'm going to show you evidence of that, but Jacob still, he sends messengers ahead trying to, trying to work this out on his own. He says, um, you need to go tell my brother that I have oxen, I have donkeys, I have flocks, male servants, female servants. Um, and I just want to stop there and say, like, look how much good that this material wealth is, is doing him. Um, he, he has acquired all of this, but he is so afraid. He's so alone. And, and with what he needs most, this cannot help him at all. He is still totally powerless, and then he he hears from his messengers and finds out that his brother Esau is coming with 400 men, and he assumes he is coming to kill him, and so he is absolutely terrified, and he calls out to God, but I want you to listen in verse 9 how he calls out to God. He says, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, um, he is still, God is always, no matter how kind God has been to him God is still at arm's length from Jacob Jacob is not saying you are my God saying yeah yeah I know about you I've interacted with you some but you're not you're not my God yet and he he even recognizes kindness and faithfulness I'm not worthy of the love and faithfulness that you've shown me so far like you have been good to me Um, and he asks him for what he desires please I'm afraid please save me from my brother like, I'm coming to you because I have nowhere else to turn. But still, there's this, this arm's length uh, relationship with God, and maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you are somebody who has been around this. Maybe you've been around the gospel. You've, you've even been in scripture for yourself. You've been around the people of God for a long time, and no matter how kind God is to you, no matter how many promises he makes, um, you can't really live out of those promises you can't really rest in those promises because he's still somebody else's God I'm just kind of around when he's saying all these kind things I know he's good but like I don't really know yet if if he's in it for the long haul with me personally and you see how like that's really no life at all because I can't access the promises of God. I can't access all of his goodness. It it really means nothing except for what happened yesterday. Okay, yeah, it turns out that you were faithful to me there. And there. And there. But because I'm not owning this, because you and I aren't tight, like none of that speaks to the future for me. And so I'm still terrified. I'm still working in my own power. I'm still trying to show you... How many flocks and herds I have and trying to, to wheel and deal and get things done in my own power to make things okay. I cannot rest in who you are and the fact that you say you love me and you're with me and you're all powerful and you're faithful and you're kind. You know, it's, it's easy to live like God is, is a love interest that we haven't married yet. Um, like this is really great and you seem to be really into me but if I make one false move maybe you're going to leave. Or maybe it's like if you're starting a company and God's like a financial backer and he's, he's giving you some seed money, but, you know, at the next, next quarter, maybe he's out. And maybe I'm going to be standing here holding the bag all by myself. And that's, that's the way that Jacob is living now. And guess what? God loves him way too much to let him live like that. And guess what? God loves you way too much to let you live like that. And so what's happening is you look back on Jacob's life He's gone through a lot of stuff. He had a very painful upbringing. He had a very painful relationship with his father. He had a very painful experience of his first 20 years out in the world. Things didn't go the way that he had planned. Maybe you all can relate to that. Um, His career did not, it was not up and to the right. It just went down. And it was very bumpy. And uh, his love life was not what he had hoped it would be either. And so here he is. But guess what? All of that was totally necessary for him to to get what he really needs more than anything else, which is a new identity. Because all of these experiences, all of that pain, all of that frustration, all of that sadness, all of that disappointment is driving him to this God who wants to be his God, who will not settle for being the God that he just knows a little bit about, and, and has at arm's length, and is the God of my fathers. God is saying, no, 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 no. No matter what it takes, no matter how painful it is, it is worth it, because I will be your God. I love you too much to let you stay like this. And so now we see, going down to verse 22, um, this is what God is orchestrating. This is what his entire life has been building to, is this one moment. So God orchestrates Jacob being left alone ...in the night for an encounter with him. And you look at verse 22, and... I mean, it, or, or verse 24, and if you're really paying attention... ...this verse is like, what? What are, we, what are you talking about? And, and why does the narrator act like this is no big deal? Like, there should be some more explanation here, right? It says, and Jacob was left alone, okay... And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And then all of a sudden, Ric Flair came running out of the woods and was like, nature boy, woo! elbow drop. And then they just start wrestling, and they wrestle all night long. And the narrator's like, yeah, that that happens, that's normal. No, that's not normal. Like, what? He was totally by himself. He left everyone on the other side of the river. He was literally all alone in the wilderness, and a man comes out of nowhere and wrestles him all night long. What? And then, like, as this passage unfolds, you realize, and Jacob realizes, this is not just a man. This is the the angel of the Lord. This is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is God. This is the second member of the Trinity who has come to start a fight with him in the middle of the wilderness. And so you have to ask this question. Why in the world is this necessary? Think about God making all these promises to Jacob. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to do all these things. Like, he can do all those things any way that he wants, right? Like, he could keep Esau from harming Jacob. I mean, look throughout Scripture. He could have struck Esau and his men dead in an instant. He could have put up some kind of wall or force field to where they were just stuck, and Jacob could have walked right around him. But he wrestled him, and and so we have to stop and ask, like, why did he do that? Why did Jesus think it was necessary to get in a physical altercation with this man? It's because he loves him too much to let him stay at arm's length. You know, I have four sons and with with my older sons, there's some times where like they're just being a knucklehead and like they're frustrating and like they won't hear the words that are coming out of my mouth and sometimes I just grab them up and wrestle them. It's like, just stop, like, come here, like, you gotta just, like, you're, you're not listening to me, and so it's this, you know, you think about what happens in a physical altercation, like, if you've ever been in a fight, you are fully present, right, like, there's no hiding, there's no, like, well, my emotions are on the shelf somewhere back here, no, no, everything, all your emotions, all your focus, all your adrenaline is right here, right now, And God's saying, yeah, like, that's why I'm starting this fight with you. Because I need all of you right here, right now, with me. And then you also think about, like, why a father wrestles with their little boys and little girls. It's because it builds trust. It builds intimacy. It builds love. It's expressing, like, you you see my power, that I have the power to protect you. But you see my gentleness, too, that I'm not using that power to crush you. So all this stuff is is what's going on here. It's like God's been telling him his whole life, like, hey, man, I love you. Hey, I'm going to be with you. Hey, you can trust me. And Jacob's like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, whatever, whatever. And God's finally like, no, 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 come here. Grab him by the neck. Like, you're going to be right here, right now with me. You're going to experience me up close and personal and intimately because you need this more than anything in the world. And so you see in verse 25, um, they were wrestling all night. So you see the gentleness there. And you think, okay, maybe this guy who jumped out of the woods is just a terrible wrestler because it took all night and we can't pin him, and he can't do anything. But then you see, oh, no, no, something else is going on because of the power he touches his hip, he touches his hip, and his hip is dislocated. That's never happened to me, but I know that that is some of the most excruciating pain that a person can experience, is having their hip dislocated. Then your leg is just laying there lifeless, you can't move it. And in one instant, now Jacob realizes, okay, this is not just some dude. Um, this, this guy has power, and uh, in verse 26, it's like Jesus says, Hey, did you see what I could do with one touch? Now you need to let me go right now. Because the sun's coming up, and guess what? If you see in scripture what happens when people see the face of God and they're sinners, it's not good. So so part of that is mercy of Jesus saying, Hey, you need to let me go because you may not make it if the sun comes up and you see me face to face. And guess what Jacob's response is? I don't care. Look at my life. You think I care? I've been chasing blessing my whole life. And now I realize that the one person who I've really needed blessing from is right here in front of me. And you think I'm gonna let you go now without you blessing me? Like you're crazy. And in Hosea, it talks about this moment and it says, all this is happening with tears. And I imagine just like this poignant moment of Jacob, all the disappointment, all the pain, all the frustration comes rushing out and he just is screaming I will not let you go unless you bless me and it's just pitiful because there's this man his legs just laying there limp he can't even do anything and he's just clinging on to Jesus I will not let you go it's a very different picture than before this wrestling match started right where he was just sort of casually over here So we're talking a lot about blessing, like what is blessing? Well, uh, for our purposes, we can define blessing as just everything that you were created for. Abundant life, um, the life with God that he intended for us, It's, it's wholeness, it's peace, it's peace with God, and for years, Jacob had been trying to give himself a blessing, trying to manipulate other people to give him a blessing, and guess what? It doesn't work like that. The blessing that you and I need, the new identity that you and I need so desperately cannot come from us. It cannot come from who we are or what we look like or what we do. It has to come from God and it has to be a gift. And so he says, um, well, I'll say this too. Um, this blessing requires a new identity, which means it requires a new name. And you know, the only two kinds of people who can give a new name fathers and kings the king was the only person who could change somebody's name once they were born so here's Jacob with God his father with Jesus his king and Jesus says what is your name what is the identity that you've been living out of up to this point in your life who, who do you think you are and he says Jacob deceiver I'm not enough I'm a cheater I'm a fake I've been living out of a facade and when you're living like that, you cannot live out of God's promises. It doesn't work. When My identity that's rooted in me is not enough because the identity that I need is, is to be a son of God. I need to be reunited. I need to be reconciled with God because in my own, apart from him, I am doomed. And so here in verse 28, he says, I'm giving you a new name. That's not who you are anymore giving you a new identity. Your new name is Israel, which means God strives. You so far have been living out of who you are and what you've done. Your new identity has nothing to do with that. Your new identity has everything to do with who God is and what he has done. God strives. He fights vigorously for you, for his people. He has defeated death and sin in his son, Jesus Christ. And he fights with his people. He fights for his people, sometimes by fighting with his people. You have striven with God and with man, and you've prevailed. You've endured. You've engaged. You've faced up. You haven't run away and hidden and covered. You've come and let it all out, and you've, you've said, here's who I really am. Now you make me somebody new. It's interesting. Revelation 2.17 says this, to the one who conquers or to the one who strives, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. It's this new identity that only Jesus and only you will know. And then in Revelation 3.12, it says again, to the one who conquers or to the one who strives, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God in my own new name. And you see what's happening here is the, the new identity that I have in Christ is Christ. It is him putting his name on me. When I am in Christ, that means that his death has covered my sin. It means that his righteousness is given to me. It is the new identity that I'm so hungry for, but also so desperately need. I cannot stand apart from that new identity. And Jesus is saying, if you will just come in close, I will give you this new name. I will give you this new identity. And then it says in verse 31 that after this wrestling match, Jacob is limping now for the rest of his life. And you know what? That's a gift because um, it's weird that Jesus popped out of nowhere and started wrestling with him throughout the night. And so enough time passes from that moment, and you think, maybe that was a dream. But now he's got this limp for the rest of his life, and he's like, no, no, that really happened. Like God really met me and changed my life. And guess what? I don't need my... Leg to work perfectly anymore for future wrestling matches because I'm in Christ and He wrestles for me. God strives; it's not me striving; it's God. God striving. And it was only after this encounter, um, you know, the Lord does protect him. He's faithful to him when he meets Esau. And in ver- in chapter thirty-three, verse twenty, says that Jacob builds an altar and he he names the altar. Um, this is the God of Israel. Like, this is my God. So, uh, what does that mean for us? It means that the circumstances, the disappointments that you and I are experiencing, um, those may not be the curses that you think they are. In fact, those may be blessings because they are leading you to the one thing that you need more than anything else, which is to face up and strive with God. And see how he strives with you and see how he strives for you and let his love for you give you a new name. Because all of that stuff that happened in Jacob's life was driving him toward this moment. Without all that pain and disappointment, we don't get to this wrestling match. And so as you leave this place, um, if you've never had that encounter with God, um, lean in to the pain, lean in to the disappointment, lean into the anger, lean into the frustration. And uh, when he pushes you, push back. Because guess what? He's, a, he's a big. He can take it. And in that wrestling, you're going to find the blessing that you've been searching for your whole life. Father, uh, give us the courage we need to do that. Um, thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for being relentless. You will not let us keep you at arm's length. You will have a relationship with us. Uh, and it will be intimate and you will finish what you started. So, Lord, give us the, the honesty, the courage, the faith uh, that we need to, to move towards you um, in our pain and to see your gentleness and to see your love and to experience life and blessing and wholeness. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.